0: Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is an update on transitions, communicating the why of a move to your clients. It's a conversation with my partner, Lewis Diamond. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. and alerts other advisors like you who may find the content to be relevant. And while you're at it, if you know others who are considering change or simply looking to learn more about the industry landscape, please feel free to share this episode or the series widely. It often seems that when an advisor's move is discussed, the value they derive from the change in firms and models is what drives the conversation. That is, thinking what's best for the advisor. And certainly, the heavy lift of a transition sits firmly on their shoulders, as does the ultimate rewards at the end of the day. But as we say time and again, the real impetus behind a move should be to improve client service because it's the clients that drive the business growth and value. So doing right by them is an imperative. Yet the truth of the matter is that without communicating what's in it for them, your clients may never really understand the positive impact and value a change can bring. And ensuring a positive approach to the move will certainly enhance your credibility and relationship. In this episode, my partner, Lewis Diamond, is joining me as we look at how to best identify and communicate the why of your move and the value clients can expect as a result. So there's a lot to discuss, and let's get to it. Lewis, thank you for joining me once again.
1: Of course. Always happy to join you, and I think this is a very interesting and very relevant topic to discuss.
0: Yeah, and it's funny. It seems almost obvious. Of course, it has to be to the benefit of clients, but I think you and I would agree that So many advisors, when we say to them, how will you communicate the reason for the move to your clients, they talk all about why it's better for them, and they often leave out why it's better for clients. Do you agree with me?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It's also because the due diligence process is very much about the advisors, right? It's the advisors driving the process. They can't even tell their clients about what's going on. So they're doing things like technology demonstrations, but it's mostly from Their vantage point versus the client's. They're making sure that there's certain platforms and that there's flexibility around marketing or fill in the blank of what an advisor is looking for. So it is, I agree with you, it's harder sometimes to take a step back and think about how everything that you're looking at is to the benefit of a client when so much of the process is more about the advisor and their team and more of like the internal stakeholders.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Lewis, because that's probably a good teachable moment for anybody who's listening to this, who is tasked with recruiting for their firm, because the firms do a really good job of painting a picture of why a move will be in the best interest of the advisor, but oftentimes sort of assume that it's just obvious about why the move might be better for clients. And it's a very important point that's often missed.
1: Yeah, that's spot on. I think that would be a differentiator would be taking extra time to show an advisor why their client is going to be benefited. You're exactly right. It's easier to show the advisor what's good for the advisor, but I think going above and beyond to show why the client is going to be benefited can only help to separate you from the pack.
0: Yeah. So I think as it stands in the current construct, in most recruiting scenarios, an advisor can assume that the onus is on them to figure out and really be mindful about how this move benefits for clients to ask additional questions of a firm because they probably won't necessarily be communicated unless you ask. So let's jump in with that in mind. In the work we do with advisors, one of the first questions we ask is, what's your why? And it may sound trivial or obvious, but why is it important for an advisor to know their why from the perspective of clients, Lewis?
1: Yeah. So I think it's important for two different reasons. The first is an advisor's why is what drives them. It's why they wake up in the morning. It's why they do what they do. And having a compelling why is ultimately why a client will work with the advisor. The same can be said though, as an advisor is thinking about changing firms, their why is ultimately what's going to drive their decision or their criteria for making a change because they, they need a firm's resources or value proposition to align with what's going to help them live their best why. And as we're talking about a move, the why from the perspective of clients, I can take that also as okay, you're thinking about the move, why does it matter to the client that the advisor is moving. I think the the obvious answer is there's a lot of good reasons for an advisor to move. It could be compensation driven or more efficient technology or a better brand or fill in the blanks, business ownership. But it's definitely not as obvious for the client. A client is just going to see this as a hassle. They didn't have an opportunity to meet with five different firms and go on home office visits and dig into the weeds. They're finding out for the first time when an advisor resigns that they're making a change. So all they're going to see is changing of account numbers and new documents and having to set up bill pay differently at a new firm. So it is a hassle for a client. So unless that why is communicated clearly, if you're a client, why would you come along for the ride? So that's where I, I would probably stop there. But I would ask you the same question. What's another reason why, from the perspective of a client, an advisor should care? Yeah, well,
0: first of all, a financial advisor isn't an accountant who is just manipulating numbers. Their whole business life, their whole reason for being is all about clients. So the notion of being a fiduciary is all about doing what's in the best interest of clients. And I think your point around, as you evaluate other opportunities, to keep in mind, your clients didn't have the benefit of being able to evaluate all these different opportunities. They're being tasked with following you, hopefully following you to the one opportunity you chose. And I think actually it brings up the point that a lot of advisors don't take the time to really back up the train and explain not just why they chose what they chose for the benefit of clients, but also why they've decided to leave their current firm. And the point behind that is not in any way to bad mouth your firm. That's just in bad taste and doesn't serve anybody well. It's not about negative selling, but it is about acknowledging the fact that the firm I have been at for the last 10, 20 years, whatever it is, has served me very well and allowed me to serve you incredibly well. But now as I think about being able to do more for my clients things like, and I'd ask you to fill in the blanks, Lewis, what are some of the things that advisors look to do more for clients when they move? But as I look to do more for my clients, I feel somewhat limited in my ability to do that here. And that's what really drove me to look elsewhere. It's sort of telling the story behind the move. And I think a lot of advisors don't think that that's obvious or don't do that well. Do you agree with me?
1: I do agree. And also the the best advisors are insulating their clients from a lot of the pressures and frustrations that their firm might give them. So bureaucracy, an advisor shouldn't let a client know that, oh, it's so difficult to complete this request for you. The good advisors make it a seamless client experience regardless. So that's the other piece of it is, again, it may seem obvious that I'm unhappy and I can't do what I need to for clients, but if you're doing your job right, It also shouldn't be known to a client that you're unhappy. And I would say for the most part, clients are going to be pretty happy at whatever firm you're at. Their happiness is going to be much more about your relationship, your service, and your process. It's not necessarily about the name of the business card. And that's why also portability follows the advisor. It doesn't follow the firm.
0: Yes. So what are some of the things that when an advisor moves, they hope to do better for clients? So if they need to fill in that blank, I'm moving not for my benefit, but for your benefit. And here are the things I'm going to be able to do more or better for you. What are some of those things?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'll give you a couple. And we'll also include a link in the episode page because our team member, Wendy Leong, wrote a very insightful article. Digging deeper into these different areas, call it the, the client-wise in a move, but I'll give you a couple. One would be more support. More support as far as having more professionals that are working in the business to support the client. It could be more investment flexibility. So having a wider or more bespoke list of alternative investments or more SMAs or ability to advise on crypto, which is very germane these days. It could be more services, so offering tax preparation or bill pay or more trust in estate services, which obviously is a direct benefit to the client. Potentially lower costs. We don't really see advisors lower their cost in a move. Sometimes it's necessary to win the business, but it could be lower manager costs or lower platform costs. Better technology, certainly. This could be a double-edged sword, as we are talking about before. The technology is usually evaluated from the advisor side, so it's more efficient to run my practice and use my CRM. But the client-facing technology, the app, the online web portal, that's certainly a potential benefit. It could also mean less bureaucracy. So what I mean by that is if there's less red tape and hoops for an advisor to jump through, it means more time to be spending with clients, or it's easier for an advisor to creatively solve problems. So as issues come up, or there's exceptions that need to be made, or even something like a client is moving to a new country, you now potentially have the ability to get to yes more often. And you may see that in more boutique firms, or certainly by going independent. Two others I'll give you is a better ability to communicate. So pandemic is a great example. Advisors were able to get rapid communication out in their own voice at certain firms but they were much more restricted in getting stuff out at others. So even things like having a podcast or keeping in touch with clients and prospects and social media, that may be a, a net benefit to clients. And then finally, I'd say maybe it's a firm with a clearer strategy of where they're going and how they're going to scale, or even more long-term stability. So no client wants to be at a company that's, that's not investing in the future or is kind of haphazard in how they're investing in the company. So certainly you can translate the benefits of a more scaled firm or a firm that's more forward-looking or future-oriented than my current firm, which is kind of stuck in the past. So that was a lot of different examples. I think you got to pick and choose what's most relevant to your clients. And certainly the type of firm you go to would likely drive which from the list you're going to pull from.
0: Yeah, it brings up a good point. because. You and I talk with advisors a lot about the notion of connecting the dots, that it's easy to say, I'm moving to a new firm because I'm going to get greater support and presume that the client understands how the fact that you're getting greater support is actually for their benefit. You gave the example when you talked about going to a firm where one of the statements you'd be able to make is less bureaucracy. And you talked about how you'd connect the dots there, the notion that if I'm working for a firm where there is less hoops to jump through and less bureaucracy, I will have more freedom and opportunity to serve you better, to do more and better for you. That was connecting the dots. How do you connect the dots on one like better technology? How does that connect? The, so, saying that an advisor will have better access to technology, how does that connect the dots to how it's better for clients?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. So, I think it depends how you perceive the client facing technology at your current firm. But what I would probably do is look for one or two features that are better on a on your new firm's client-facing technology. So maybe it's an integrated document vault, or we have better ability to move money on a self-service basis, or we can pull in your assets that are with your advisor at Goldman or with alternatives providers. So I think you just got to look at your particular situation now, and then look at some features that might be new on the platform. I think technology, I think you can always probably find one or two things that are better. But of course, there's going to be some potential negatives or differences. So those have to be weighed and balanced.
0: Yeah. And so I think our point is, it's important to obviously say, I'm moving because I will have access to better technology and presume that it's obvious to a client why that is to a client's benefit, but I think your example with some real sort of granularity connects the dots. How does it work with something like, I'm going to have more support? How do you translate that into a benefit for a client?
1: We're all working really hard here. We have two advisors and we have Bill, who's our client associate. We're working 60 hours a week and it's, it's tough. We, we feel like there's more we can be doing for our clients. Now at this new firm, we're actually going to be granted a new team member. And the firm overall has paraplanners that we can bring in. There's trust and estates experts that we can bring into the relationship. So we're going to a firm now that is investing more in our team and our ability to add team members, but also has some shared resources that we can pull into the relationship.
0: Love it. So connecting more of those dots. I'd add just in listening to the list is really that as an advisor gains freedom and control, the clients benefit. Advisors are better able to customize their deliverables for the benefit of the clients, the more freedom and control and flexibility the advisor is granted.
1: Definitely. Let me flip the script and ask you a question What about an advisor who is considering staying in channel? So we know from industry data that most advisors will stay in channel when they're making a move. So what we mean by that is moving from one wirehouse to the other or moving from one independent broker-dealer to the other. Some advisors, the cynical ones, would say, well, that's a lateral move. How is that any different? But certainly plenty of advisors do it. So my question is, do you think that move is always about one's personal financial gain? Or how is it possible that that type of move could be to the benefit of the client?
0: Yeah, I love that question because as you know, That becomes not so much what advisors ask us, but what we ask advisors. We challenge advisors all the time. So it happens. I'll give you an example. I worked very recently with a significant Merrill Lynch team that really thought that they wanted to go independent. And we spent probably eight months or a year going down the rabbit hole in a good way, in a productive way of meeting with every possible service provider and custodian and understanding what technology looked like in the space and working on pro formas and all. And at the end of the day, the advisor realized that while there were definitely aspects of independence that were very, very appealing to them, it was a bridge too far. They just weren't ready to give up the infrastructure and support and familiarity of going to a major firm and wound up moving to Morgan Stanley. Okay, so my query to that team all along was there is nothing wrong with making that move. In fact, I can list 10 things for you that you might find or be able to tell a client is better at Morgan than at Merrill. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to be the one to look clients in the eye or put your head on the pillow and justify whether it's better enough. Is it a move that is only being made because you're being paid three or four times your trailing 12-months production, or is it a move because you're making because you really believe you'll be able to do better enough, more than enough things better for a client? In the case of the particular advisor I'm talking about, What I advised that advisor to do was throughout the entire process of due diligence with Morgan Stanley to ask every person they met, from other advisors that work at Morgan, to leaders of product areas, to heads of the firm, to the complex manager, to everybody in between, I'm going to ask you questions about why and how things are done at Morgan Stanley. But what I'm really looking for, I'm looking at it through the lens of how will making this move be better for clients? And by being focused on that, The advisor got really comfortable in this particular instance with the fact the examples were that Morgan Stanley is a wealth management firm that owns a bank, but not the other way around. may sound subtle, but it's a major difference. It means that the advisor has more freedom and control to customize things for clients. It means that at Morgan Stanley, wealth management represents a greater percentage of the total bottom line total revenue. And so the investments and innovations that happen at Morgan Stanley might be better or more often and more to the advisor and client's benefits than happen at Merrill. So, I mean, there are many other examples I can give you, but that's the point is that Of course, if an advisor is moving from Merrill to Morgan or Morgan to UBS or independent broker dealer to independent broker dealer, the advisor's personal economics certainly need to make sense. The advisor wouldn't do it if it was detrimental, but eye on the prize, it needs to be about the client.
1: Yeah. And I would also say, we know why it's important to make a move in the best interest of clients, but to make it a little bit more selfish Any advisor listening knows, and they probably use this trick when advisors have left left their firm for a competitor, you know that the advisors who are getting distributed your accounts are going to use the fact that, oh, he's only moving for his own personal financial gain in order to keep your clients. So knowing that the playbook is very clear on how that's going to play out means it's even more important for an advisor to be crystal clear on why they're making a move within channel and why it's going to be better for the client.
0: Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. So let me ask you a question. Is it ever all right for an advisor to make a move that is primarily driven by or motivated by what's best for the advisor, what's best for him or her?
1: I think the answer is yes. I mean, there's six to seven different types of stakeholders involved when an advisor considers change. There's the advisor, there's the team, there's the client, there's a family, there's the new firm, there's the contra firm. The list goes on and on. So, you have to try to balance all of those out. So, certainly, an advisor is not going to move unless there is a major benefit to them. Ultimately, it's the advisor who is doing the lion's share of the work. They're the ones who have to take the risk, they're the ones who have to do the due diligence. So, I don't think there's anything wrong with the primary motivator being for their own gain. But at the end of the day, there still has to be a net positive for the end client. If it's, hey, this is great for me, but by the way, SMAs cost more, the technology isn't as good, it's a no-name firm, and we have less support, then the clients aren't going to come. I think it's all interconnected. It's a circle. The clients are going to come when it's better for them. And ultimately, the advisor is going to have a better experience if more clients come. So I think one hand kind of feeds the other. And if the equation's out of balance, then, then I think everyone loses.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's all interconnected. You're absolutely right. And I think the rule of thumb, it starts with do no harm. So at the very least, a move needs to be able to replicate anything and everything that an advisor is currently able to do for their clients. Certainly do no harm. The hope is that you are also able to make a case that certain things will be better and enough of those things will be better that can really justify it. I agree. Let me ask you another question. So what happens when an advisor goes independent? Are there different benefits that might come to mind?
1: I think think there are. At the end of the day, it's the same thinking, what's in it for the client. I think it probably is easier thought exercise to come up with the benefits to a client if an advisor is going independent than staying in channel, just because there's more, we'll say, obvious benefits. Again, nothing wrong with staying in channel, and there's plenty of benefits to doing so but it's probably easier to get to your list when going independent. So I think a couple that would be different if an advisor is going independent, again, from the client's perspective, one would be true open architecture. So not being limited to what's on platform. So working through multiple custodians, multiple lenders, bespoke, one-off kind of alternative investments, that's certainly a benefit to clients. But how much that matters to clients is up to the advisor to decide. Another one would be control over expenses. So, an advisor can choose, if they're independent, to invest in hiring and building new services and in areas that are most important to the client, because now they have a higher payout to do so. So, in other words, they're in charge of allocating resources versus it being more prescribed by a larger firm or broker dealer. So, certainly those could be benefits to an end client. We'll say technology talked about the client facing technology, but in the independent model, there's more customization around what the different technology platforms look like. So there's probably a greater ability that you can build a tech stack that is most relevant to what your particular client cares about the most, whether it's more of a planning type relationship, they care more about alternatives or higher end investments. So I think you can customize stuff that way. I'll give you one or two others. I think marketing and social media is a big one. So an advisor can get their own commentary out rapidly almost instantly have their own unique viewpoint versus more kind of canned pre-prescribed type stuff that a major firm would provide and be able to do it I think quickly is the key so even at firms or broker dealers where advisors have the ability to have their own unique voice having a 2 or 3 day lag is a death sentence so that that content being relevant especially in a pandemic or or a crazy market environment I'd say the last one this one might be less obvious but it's call it open architecture for succession planning. This one, I think you really have to take time to explain to the client. It's not going to be obvious to them, but at any major firm or even within a independent broker dealer, the buyers or the successors are either going to be someone within the team, which is great. Or if there's not a viable successor within the team, then you have to look external to the team and likely look at advisors that are currently affiliated with the firm. When an advisor goes independent, they're able to drastically expand the universe of who buys the business and ultimately who's going to succeed uh, that advisor. So again, I think you have to be careful with how to message it. You don't want your client to think you're just walking away and selling. But I think having more options is a good thing. And that's kind of the theme of all of this is more options tends to be a winning formula for what's best for a client.
0: Hmm. So let me ask you a couple of follow-up questions to that. You mentioned when you talked about having true open architecture that the advisor could have the ability to be multi-custodial. So in the spirit of the question about connecting the dots, how is an advisor's ability to be multi-custodial, for example, how might that benefit clients?
1: I think this is one. Advisors often talk about wanting to be multi-custodial but very few actually do it in the end because it's kind of a pain operationally to have multiple platforms, multiple types of account documents. But I think the benefit would be either for a new client, maybe they have a Schwab self-directed account and you're at Fidelity. So you can have the option of still keeping that business there um, and still be able to service them. Um, it could be, um, let's say it's a client that, is, um, that has some family members in the U.S., and they have some family members in the, in the United Kingdom. Um, certain custodians might be better with international business than others. So it gives that advisor an ability to still service that end client. And I think the same goes for something like lending. Um, certainly, if you're independent, you have many more lending options than if you're captive, but different custodians um, have different lending solutions, whether it's private banking resources through BNY Mellon Pershing or the bank that Schwab has or Fidelity offers lending in a different way through Goldman Sachs and US Bank. So I think it really depends upon the client's needs. Um, But again, more flexibility is going to be a benefit to the end client, but it has to be balanced against the operational headaches that come with multiple custodians.
0: Yeah. And it goes back to what you just said a couple of minutes ago, the notion that optionality ultimately is a good thing. I was also thinking when you talked about the ability to communicate rapidly. Um, I'm you know, I think about the fact that if you're a wirehouse advisor and you don't have the ability, in the midst of a pandemic or a downturn in the market by a gazillion points, that an advisor has to rely on picking up the phone and calling every client, and oftentimes clients don't end up hearing from their advisor as often as they would like.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's it's more scalable and it's it's more efficient. So I think you're right. It leads to higher satisfaction.
0: I want to thank you again for joining me. I think that this was a really productive conversation. It's a good reminder about being laser focused on what's best for client in everything you do and the ability to communicate it in a way that's obvious and accessible to clients is really critical. So I thank you again for your time and for joining me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think just one other point I'll leave our listeners with is don't underestimate just making a list. I'm sure most advisors who move, they have scripts or their pitch, but have four to five bullet points at your ready. Or if you're kind of panicking, or a client is really, it's really grilling you, you at least have your list that you're comfortable with. That's something that we offer to advisors that work with us. We help them with these client-facing pitches, but it's also something that advisors should rely upon a firm they're joining a custodian they're going to or a platform they're affiliating with is help me craft my client facing why. I think it's critical to take the extra time to do it. You spend all this time kicking the tires on firms, building a website or making sure the book map's over. Take the extra hour to make a list and be really, really comfortable and clear on what your why is. And I think that'll serve you extremely well.
0: Yeah. And we will wrap there, but that is the point. Put the onus on whatever firm you're going to, to help you to craft your client-facing why. I thank you for listening. And I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the articles link to browse recent topics. These written pieces are an ideal way of staying informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration requires. You can feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 973 476 8578, which is my cell, or my email, mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And keep in mind that our services are available without cost to the advisor. You can see our website for more information. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. If you're listening on the Apple Podcasts app, I'd be grateful if you gave it a store rating and a review. It will let other advisors know it's a show worth their time to listen to. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.